So this morning's message is going to be a little bit different too. Normally, um, when we preach, we just take a passage of the Bible and we just preach through it phrase by phrase. But this morning, I want to tell a story. In fact, most of the sermon will be story. But I think if you'll stick with me, you'll soon discover the joy of Jesus and the truth of Scripture in the story of this woman's life. But first, let's start with a question. What are your plans this year for Christmas? What are you going to be doing? Maybe you're going to go on a trip to see family. Maybe you're going to stay put and come to the City Light Christmas Eve services. You know, what, what are your plans? Or even a better question, this gets people excited, what are you going to be eating this year for Christmas? Right? I remember growing up, my mom always made cinnamon pull-apart bread for every Christmas morning. It was so good. And I'm sure this year, for my family, our kids will wake to some of their favorite presents under the tree. The nostalgic sounds of Mannheim steamroller playing in the background. And they'll come downstairs to a warm, cozy home lit with bright Christmas lights. And later on in the day, we'll go over to Grandma and Grandpa's. That's going to be our Christmas It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be comfortable. But 70 years ago, there was a single woman in the woods of North Germany who spent her Christmas quite differently. Her name was Corrie ten Boom. She was 52 years old, and she spent that Christmas in a concentration camp, a prisoner of Nazi Germany during World War II. She didn't amount to much more than skin and bone. She had spent many mornings standing at attention for over four hours in the freezing cold. She had just lost her sister to death two weeks before. Her home, her family, her friends, her comfort had all been taken away from her. But some way, somehow, that Christmas day, 1944, Corey Ten Boom still had joy. In fact, Corey spent Christmas Day that year running bedpans to angry women on the brink of starving to death. They had been stacked in bunks across a a massive room that the Nazis called a hospital. Corey had edema, which is extreme swelling in her ankles, and that made it painful and difficult to walk. Yet in her pain and in her joy, she ran bedpans to these dying prisoners. How in the world did this woman have joy? And how in the world do I still find ways to complain about my life this year? You know, like if I have to wait for more than five minutes at the post office, it makes it a whole bad day for me. I'm miserable and complaining. Or God forbid I have to like sit in a waiting room without my phone. Whatever will I do? But Corey, skin and bones, grieving her sister, cold Corey was running bedpans to prisoners in her joy. Something supernatural must have been going on in her heart and in her life. And frankly, I want to tap into that. Get that. That's awesome. (laughs) It's okay, Mark. I want to tap into whatever joy it was that she had. Do you? Do you desire a supernatural, larger-than-your-life joy? Do you wonder, what would it be like for joy to characterize your life more than complaining? Even when life is hard, even when life comes undone, even when the cell phone is ringing. (laughs) Sorry, that was just fun, Mark. That was just fun, okay? But do you desire joy to characterize your life, even when life is hard, even through suffering, even when you're sick? 
or tired, or you're alone, or surrounded, or stuck in a waiting room without your smartphone on you. Do you desire joy to characterize your life? In the Bible, Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord in the good days. Rejoice in the Lord when you get to sleep in. Rejoice in the Lord when you can make the rent payment. No, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And Paul, the apostle who wrote this, he has the right to tell us this because he was writing that from prison. Just as Corey's example challenges us to supernatural joy, so does Paul's writing and his example challenge us to supernatural joy. But how is it possible? How is supernatural joy possible in our lives? Let's look further into Corey's story to see how Jesus gave her supernatural joy. How Jesus empowered her to obey Philippians 4 verse 4, even through suffering. Just two years before she spent that Christmas in concentration camp, Corey spent Christmas in her childhood home in the Netherlands. She lived with her sister Betsy, her aunts and her dad in a small, skinny home. There was the, the first floor was um, her dad's watchmaking shop, and then right above it was a really small dining room, some miniature bedrooms, and a kitchen. It was warm, it was cozy, it was filled with memories, and that year it was filled with family and some Jews, a handful of Jews. Even though Corey's family were Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, Dutch, Reformed, Calvinistic Christians, that year they were celebrating a Jewish holiday. All over Europe, first in Germany, and then wherever the Nazis had occupied, Jews were being hunted, humiliated, taken, and eventually killed. And so Corey's family, filled with a love for Jesus, would receive and hide, feed, and transport Jewish people to keep them safe. But they knew if they were ever found out, Corey's family would suffer the same fate as the Jews. Prison, then death. And yet they still risked their lives to save Jews. And so with these Jewish friends, they would, um, at night, they'd spend time singing together, telling stories, laughing together. The, the joy was invigorating, and it was pervasive in the home until the doorbell rang. Then, if the doorbell rang, questions would rush into Corey and her family's head. Who is it? What's going on? And then their Jewish friends would rush upstairs into a secret hiding place that her dad had built behind a wall. And then someone had to go answer the door. If they opened the door and it was a friend, life returned back to normal. Laughing, singing, telling stories, eating together. But if they opened the door and it was a police officer or a member of the Gestapo then life remained suspended for minutes or hours as long as they were there. So Christmas that year included lighting the menorah, but it also included a letter from the local chief of police. Corey's family had hidden and transported dozens of Jewish people over the course of years. Now, had they finally been found out, why was the chief of police calling to them? That was Christmas 1942. So later, when Corey reported to the chief of police, he was surprisingly sympathetic to their work. But the bad news was, he knew about their work. 
And so even though the chief of police wasn't going to crack down on them, they knew it was only a matter of time before their whole family was found out. Sure enough, just two months later, while Corey was sick with a high fever, laying in her bed, the doorbell rang. Her Jewish friends rush upstairs to safety in the hiding place. Someone has to go answer it. It's a Nazi officer with a troop of soldiers, and they weren't friendly. Corey, after she took a beating, was arrested and taken captive. Along with Corey, there were more than 35 of her family and friends who were arrested and put in prison that day, including her sister, Betsy, and her dad, Casper. And all of them knew what lay ahead of them. Prison, then death. Now, I want to pause here before we go on in Corey's story just to help us connect to Corey's story. Most of us, we haven't suffered a sentence like this. We haven't been unjustly imprisoned. But all of us have received bad news. We've gone from surviving to failure to thrive. We've gone from at least a glimmer of hope to our world going dark. When has that happened in your life? Was it the loss of a loved one, the tearing apart of a relationship, the, the taunts from your, who you thought were your friends, the disapproval of a parent or a child. We have all received bad news. We've all had days when we want to get out our scissors, open to Philippians 4 verse 4, and cut out that Bible verse. Not today, Jesus. Not for a while, please. So what happened next in Corey's life when she received this bad news, when she was imprisoned? She was taken to a federal prison in the Netherlands, and within a short time, she was put in a solitary cell. The cell was about two paces wide and about six paces long, just big enough for a bed of straw and one human being. But thanks to the life-risking generosity of a nurse and just the providence of Corey's prolonged sickness, even when she was in prison, Corey managed to obtain and smuggle in four packets of literature. The Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. She had no friends. She had no communication with the outside world. She had no comfort. But she had the living word of God with her. Corey wrote about it this way. She says, As my health returned, I was able to use my eyes longer. Now, like a starving man, I gulped entire gospels at a reading, seeing whole the magnificent drama of salvation. And as I did, an incredible thought prickled the back of my neck. Was it possible that this, all of this that seems so wasteful and so needless, this war, this prison, this very cell, none of it was unforeseen or accidental? Could it be part of the pattern first revealed in the Gospels? Hadn't Jesus been defeated as utterly and unarguably as our little group and our small plans had been? But, and some of us need to hear this this morning, but if the Gospels were truly the pattern of God's activity, then defeat was only the beginning. I would look around at the bare little cell and wonder what conceivable victory could come from a place like this. Did you catch all that? She gulped down gospels and in so doing discovered that the pattern and the process of joy is this. Death, 
then resurrection. Defeat, then victory. It's backwards to our culture, our world, our way of thinking. We think sustained success. We think comfort and ease leads to joy. But as Corey gulped down Gospels, she discovered that death leads to resurrection. Defeat leads to victory. This is the path of joy. And so it was with Jesus himself. Just as Corey looked in her cell and wondered what conceivable victory could come from a place like this, many people could easily wonder about Jesus. What king of glory could arise from that trough full of cow feed? What conceivable victory could come from a place like this? But for Jesus, his birth in a manger was only his first step into death. The cross was coming, and Jesus knew it. Similarly, for Corey, her time in that solitary cell in a federal prison was only her first step into death. Shortly thereafter, she heard about the death of her father. And you have to understand a little bit of the relationship between Corey and her father to get why this would be so heart-wrenching to Corey. So men, just lean in a little here, okay? If you hear nothing else this morning, hear about Corey's father, Casper Ten Boom. And the first thing you got to know, men, is you can never compete with his beard. That guy should have been in Duck Dynasty, right? Like that is impressive. That is second to none. But here's the deal about Casper Ten Boom, other than his beard and a really cool name. Casper Ten Boom, his job was a watchmaker. You can't find a job more boring than that. He was uneducated. He didn't even graduate from high school. His wife, Corey's mom, spent most of her adult life sick and confined to bed. But Casper, by the grace of God, somehow managed to raise five children, all of whom loved Jesus Christ, sniffed out the evil of the Nazi regime early on, and poured out their lives so that the poor, hurting, and broken could know Jesus Christ. How in the world did a dad do that? How did Casper do that? Let me just give you three patterns to his parenting that I picked up in reading about him. Number one, Casper Ten Boom read the Bible with his kids. He read the Bible with his kids. Every morning in the Tin Boom home, the same thing would happen. Everybody would gather around at the breakfast table, and Dad would read one chapter from the Bible. No theological dissertations. No waxing eloquently about how God is three in one. Just reading one chapter from the Bible every day. And so his children learned to trust and hold fast to the Word of God, even through the darkest of times. Number two. Casper Ten Boom welcomed people into his home. Corey writes about how most every night there was someone in their house, all growing up, and most every night they were singing songs with whomever those guests were. It was a house of hospitality and joy. The morning routine of reading the scriptures gave way to the evening routine of hospitality and singing. And so Casper's children had a song of joy in their hearts, even through the darkest of times. And number three, Casper Ten Boom entered into his children's lives. He didn't maintain a safe distance from them. He knew them. He knew about them. He loved them. He cared for them. He went through life with them. There's a story. When, when Corey was in late high school, 
she fell in love with one of her big brother's friends. And it seemed he fell in love with her. He would seek her out. He would give her special attention. He would talk to her. And so it seemed they had fallen in love. And then the two of them got to spend a lot of time together one week when their families were in the same city. So during that week, they talk a ton. They talk about their futures together. How many children would they have? What would their house be like? What would they enjoy doing together? Where would they live? And so they talk all week long. Then they have to part ways, go back to separate cities for a little while. But surely they're going to write letters to each other. Just a few months later, this young man arrives at Corey's home. He rings the doorbell. They open to see him there with another girl standing next to him, her arm in his, and a diamond ring on her finger. And he says, Corey, I would like for you to meet my fiance." Oh, that's just, that's just wrong. She, so Corey is just heartbroken. Her life as a, a, you know, later years of high school is just coming undone. And so the family manages just to kind of get through and then this guy and his fiance leave. Corey just bolted upstairs for her bedroom, sits down on her bed and cries. What did Casper Ten Boom do? What would you do, dads? Casper Ten Boom walked into his daughter's room and he spoke tender words with her. He said, Corey, do you know what hurts the most? Love hurts the most. And then they got to go on and talk about the love of Jesus and the hurt that Jesus incurred because of his love. Dads, that's fatherhood right there. Casper Ten Boom didn't do a lot of things. Casper Ten Boom didn't make a lot of money, but he did do a few things really well. He read the Bible with his children. He welcomed people into his home with singing and fun, and he entered into his children's lives. Dads, may this be true of you and I. Could you imagine City Light full of dads who they don't do a lot of things great, but they do a few things really well. They read the Bible with their kids. They welcome, they connect them to Christian community. And golly, my mic is messing up right in the wrong moment. Sorry, it's about to fall off. And he enters into their lives. What if we entered into our kids' lives? Maybe we don't make a lot of money, or maybe we do. Maybe they aren't involved in all sorts of activities, or maybe they are. But what if we just got it right on reading the Bible welcoming people into our homes, and being in Christian community in their lives. That could be incredible, dads. 50 years from now, our church and our city would be radically different. And so now you understand why the news of her father's death was a blow to Corey like none other. Days and weeks in a solitary cell could never hurt as much as hearing that her dad had died. And yet more suffering was to come. Shortly after hearing this news, Corey and her sister were taken out of prison and they were transported to a concentration camp in Ravensbrück, Germany. The solitary cell in prison was like a five-star hotel compared to Ravensbrück. The straw mat that she slept on and poked her in the back in prison was like a memory foam mattress compared to the sleeping arrangements at Ravensbrück. If prison was like a birth in a manger, Ravensbrück was like the cross. There were more than 35,000 women in the camp at Ravensbrook. 
Corey and her sister Betsy were put in barracks number 28. It was a long, sprawling room, literally packed with bunks. There was no walking room, no space to get around. They were just crammed together. The women were made to sleep at least four or five to a bed, no personal space, barely a blanket to sleep under. And the whole time, the possibility of your prison number being called for death was on your mind. Ravensbrook was an extended torture of the worst sorts for women. Every morning, the ladies had to stand at attention in perfectly organized rows. If you were out of line, if you were late, if you were weak, you were beaten. And the temperatures didn't matter. The, The roll call could go for hours and hours in freezing temperatures. Then after that, every woman was made to work unjustly and unfairly for at least 11 hours every day. So what did Corey and her sister Betsy do in this place of pain and torture, sickness and death? Corey writes about it this way. She says, as the rest of the world grew stranger, one thing became increasingly clear. And that was the reason the two of us, her and her sister, were here. Why others should suffer, we were not shown. As for us, from morning until lights out, whenever we were not in ranks for roll call or working, our Bible, now they've smuggled in a Bible miraculously, like whole nother story, but this is what they're saying. Our Bible was the center of an ever-widening circle of help and hope. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's what Corey and Betsy did in this place of sickness and pain, torture and death. Corey and Betsy sustained one another's joy. Sometimes it was Corey reminding her sister Betsy that Jesus had suffered every single brutality that they were now facing. Other times, it was Betsy who was encouraging and sustaining the joy of Corey. One such instance happened when Corey, she kept on complaining about just the the horrid living conditions in barracks number 28. And so Betsy asked her, Corey, what's the reading in the Bible today? And the reading was 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What? Impossible, Corey said. What do we have to be thankful for? Betsy countered, each other, we're together. The Bible, these ladies around us. And Corey's like, yes, yes, good point. I'm thankful for those. But Betsy kept right on going. She said, this bed to sleep in, the overcrowded room, the fleas. And Corey's like, the fleas, the little black bugs we have to sleep with? I am not thankful for the fleas. I cannot be thankful for the fleas. But as it turns out, due to the overcrowding and the nasty fleas, the guards of Ravensbrook refused to ever inspect barracks number 28. So Corey and her sister Betsy could have nighttime Bible studies. They could sing aloud songs to Jesus. They could pray for one another. They could sustain one another's joys. 
all without one single guard ever bothering them. So Corey realized, thank God for the fleas. Thank God for the fleas. And so day after day, the work continued, and night after night, they gathered to praise Jesus until early December 1944. Corey's sister, Betsy, had deteriorated so quickly in Ravensbrook, she had to go to the camp hospital, or what they call the hospital. Within a couple days, she had died, and that was December 16, 1944. Corey's companion was gone. Federal prison in the Netherlands had been like a birth in a manger. It was lonely and dehumanizing. And then months and months at Ravensbrook had been like a cross. It was humiliating and torturous. But the death of Betsy was, well, it was like death to Corey. Her last glimmer of hope was gone. Her last spark of light had gone dark. And within a couple of weeks, it was Corey herself in that same hospital. And she was running bedpans to fellow prisoners. And it was Christmas morning, 1944. And so Corey asked a similar question. How could a victory ever come from such defeat? What conceivable victory could ever come from a place like this? Have you ever wondered that in your own life? Have you ever asked, how can the victory of joy be sustained in my life, in my suffering? Whether the suffering large or small, how can the victory of joy be sustained? What, let me just pull out three things that we can take away from Corey's story to help us sustain our joy, the victory of joy, even through suffering. Three quick things. There's many more, but I want to highlight three. Number one, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Through her suffering, Corey cherished the Bible. She would risk her life and her safety to get Bibles into prison and camp, and then she would risk her life and safety even more to read that Bible and share the Bible once she was there. Our joy is sustained by the precious, living Word of God in the Bible. Number two, have a Betsy. Have a Betsy. Corey would have never made it through this suffering without the encouragement of her sister. And so it is with us. When we face suffering or setback, we need someone who can simply ask us, what is the reading in the Bible today? We need someone who can help us fight for joy in real life. And then number three, takeaway. The path of joy is death, then resurrection. This is against everything we've ever been taught. But the truth is, God never promised to deliver us from suffering in this life. But he did promise to be with us in it. Corey knew this. She got this. So she never ran from the suffering. In fact, she embraced the suffering. When she was in camp hospital with edema, extreme swelling in her ankles, it would have been perfectly acceptable for her to lay on her cot with her legs elevated so that the swelling would go down. But she didn't. She got out and in pain ran bedpans to fellow prisoners. She expected to find joy in suffering. Defeat, then victory, death, then resurrection. That's the path of joy. Let's wrap this up. In the providence of God, Corey was released from that concentration camp six days after Christmas. She spent Christmas Day a prisoner. She spent New Year's Day a free woman. Death, then resurrection. Defeat, then victory. 
And oddly enough, it sounds a whole lot like our Savior, Jesus Christ. On Friday, Jesus was dead. He was defeated, and he was seemingly defeated in every way imaginable. But then on Sunday, Jesus was alive. He was truly victorious in every way imaginable. And there's a passage in Hebrews 12, verse 2, that says, Jesus endured the cross for what? For the joy that was set before him. It was for joy that Jesus endured. It was for joy that Jesus took on shame and sin and suffering. It was for joy that Jesus never gave up. He never gave in. He never went back on his road to Calvary. It was for joy that Jesus was born in a manger, raised a poor carpenter's son, suffered unjustly, died unfairly. It was for joy. What was that joy that was set before Jesus? Among other things, I think that joy was knowing that someone like Corey Ten Boom would have all of her joy wrapped up in him through the worst of her suffering, through the heartbreak of a relationship, through solitary confinement in a federal prison, and through flea-infested barracks in a concentration camp, Corey's joy sustained. Corey's joy survived because Corey's joy was not in her circumstances. Her joy was not in comfort or success. Her joy was not in wealth or riches or presence under the tree. Her joy wasn't even finally in family or friends. Her joy had roots that went way down deep into Jesus Christ and his word. And so Corey discovered there is no pit too deep that God is not deeper still. When her heart was broken in a relationship, Jesus was with her and her joy was in Jesus. In solitary cell and prison, Jesus was with her and her joy was in Jesus. Shivering for hours at roll call, Jesus was with her and her joy was in Jesus. Sleeping on a straw mat infested with fleas, Jesus was with her and her joy was in Jesus. This is the testimony of Corey Ten Boom's life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And may it be the testimony of our lives in ever-increasing ways this Christmas. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you for the story, the life of Corey Ten Boom. We thank you, God, that you sustained her joy through the scriptures, through community, and through knowing that death leads to resurrection, that defeat leads to victory. And Father, I pray for us this morning. This is a story that happened 70 years ago, but here we are this morning. Here we are today. It's our Christmas time now. And some of us feel like we're in the middle of that death. Some of us feel like we are in the middle of that defeat. So Father, I pray, would you open our eyes, open our hearts to know your presence. You are with us. Would you give us grace to find our joy in you, Jesus. Whether we feel like our suffering is small, our suffering is large, whether it's here now or whether it's coming in the future, may our joy be sustained through it all because our joy is wrapped up in you. 
So Holy Spirit, we ask now, would you come and just do all the work that none of us can do? Say all the words that we can't say. Heal the wounds. Bring people to repentance. Give people comfort, hope, and joy that only you can do personally, specifically, and powerfully. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.